Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, quicken me. Drink from me. Rise in me. Oh, Jesus, quicken us. Drink from us. Rise in us. It's time. It is high time. Dear Christ, we pray. Amen. There is no sadder funeral to conduct. You can trust me on this one. Than the funeral for a child. Particularly an only child. The young man is hardly a boy grown up and he's dead. Cause of death? Cardiac arrest. Was it the result of a tragic accident? We don't know. Was it the terminus of a dreadful illness? We don't know. All we know is that like far too many funeral processions in this little village wending our way to Rose Hill Cemetery, it happened in his hometown as well. The funeral cortege in that little village is gathered. The mournful procession begins. They have hoisted high above their heads the body of the deceased in an open coffin. And the grieving crowd trails its tear-strewn way behind. Truth be known, the tears, their tears, are not for the young man. Because when you're dead and gone, you're dead and gone. Beyond the veil of pain and misery, beyond the consciousness of sentient life, you are utterly asleep in the embrace of non-existence. Existing now only in the memories of those who loved you, and in the memory of the God who gave you to them. So their tears and their pain are more for the young man's survivor than for him. Perhaps this story ought to be entitled, A a Tale of Two Crowds. Because as fate would have it, as that funeral procession is spilling out of the village toward the nearby hillside cemetery, another crowd comes boisterously up the wending hillside road. The sounds of jubilant laughter, the excitement of joy. It's as if they have in the center of that crowd a celebrity unlike any rock star they have known. Everybody pushing as hard as they can to the center of that moving mass, holding up their iPhones, snapping just a picture of him as the crowd flows up that road. The jubilant crowd runs headlong into the funeral cortege. And the contrast could not be more embarrassing and stark. 
One crowd embarrassed for their unbridled joy in in the presence of such obvious grief. The other crowd annoyed that anyone could possibly find reason for laughter on a day of such brokenheartedness. Silence settles over both crowds. Nobody speaks. The silence broken only by the muffled sobs of the young man's mother. No consoling arm around her shoulders. Not from her husband. For he has preceded his son in death. She's a widow. And the boy was her only child. Both crowds fall silent. Save for the sobbing mother. And then it was, maybe we ought to say, and then it is, that the man who is the hero of the boisterous crowd pushes his way through his people until he at last is standing by the slumped shoulders of the grieving mother. It was William Blake who once wrote, Till our grief is fled and gone, he doth sit by us and moan. There is a touch of that moaning compassion in the voice of this stranger. And he speaks, Do not weep. The face bowed beneath her black veil slowly raises. Eyes bloodshot with tears search the features of this man. Repeats himself, do not weep. And what happened next? Though it happened so quickly, none was able to sufficiently observe the details. What happened next would become forever enshrined in the chronicles of that little mountain village. As the stranger pivoted on his heel, stepping away from the sobbing mother, two strides And he stands beside the uplifted open coffin. He puts his hand on that coffin. And then he speaks as if the blue-tinged corpse can hear his voice. Young man, I say to you, arise. And then that corpse sat up in its coffin. And he spoke. Nobody remembered to capture the words. But I've been a pastor just long enough on a campus filled with young men. And for me, it isn't hard to imagine his first words. Yo, what's up with this? But he answers his own question. For in that moment, he looks down and unraveling, loosening around him is that burial shroud. And the moment he sees the burial shroud, he knows because the last time he saw one like that, his father was wearing it as they buried him. And he instantly realizes he's been dead and they were about to bury him. The hero of the boisterous crowd, who now is the hero of both crowds, reaches down into that open casket and hoists the young man up into the outstretched 
arms of his nearly fainting mother. What a story. Huh? What a Savior. What a Savior. A Savior who in just one story has precisely what this homecoming congregation desperately needs today. One story. And our needs, all of our needs, are met. I want you to read that story. Some of you are a bit skeptical that it really happened that way. Open your Bible with me, please, to the Gospel of Luke. And while you're pulling your Bible out, I want to put the, uh, the title slide for this these few moments you and I have together. Put it on the screen for you. This is a part of our series, The Gift. This is part four. We'll go ahead and entitle this A Tale of Two Crowds because that's really what it is in both stories you're about to hear. It's a tale of two crowds. And if you, as an alumnus, would like to plug into what's happening back at your home church on, on the campus of Andrews University, you can go to that website, www.pmchurch.tv, anytime, night or day, and you can plug in to what is happening here, Sabbath after Sabbath. Luke chapter 7. So if you didn't, bring a, you didn't bring your Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. You've got to read the story. Just read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Luke chapter 7. In the pew Bible, it would be page 695. Luke chapter 7. By the way, I need to say this. I'm opening up my uh, new Andrew study Bible. You probably haven't heard of this Bible yet. Have you heard of it? Let me just say a word about this Bible. This is some Bible. I can't imagine an alumnus, any, an alum anywhere on this planet not possessing the brand new Andrew Study Bible. I have good news for you. They're going to keep the bookstore open late for you tomorrow. Or the ABC across the town. I hope you go and buy yourself this. Not just because most of the scholars who did the annotations at the bottom of the pages and the whole book is worth the price of those annotations. Not just because... Most of them are personal friends of mine, but because your heart will be stirred. The first in history. Legacy of leadership, Andrews University. You go, Andrews, for being the first to put out a study Bible in this community of faith that for 150 years has borne the name as we learned just a moment ago. So get the Bible for yourself. Buy it for a friend. You'd be happy to know the faculty provided this Bible for every incoming freshman this year. They gave them money. So that every freshman would have this. We start with this class by, in four years, every class will have every member on this student on this campus. All right, enough of that. Last time I'm ever going to say a word about this study Bible. I have paid my dues. All right, Luke chapter 7. Let's go. Verse 11. This is the New King James Version. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Now it happened the day after that he, Jesus, went into a city called Nain. It's really a little mountain village. And many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. It's a huge crowd. The celebrity is in the midst. And when he came near the gate of that little city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. A tale of two crowds. Here it is. Verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and he said to her, Do not weep. Imagine. Do not weep. Then, verse 14, he came and he touched the open coffin. Contrary to Levitical law that says you are unclean the moment you touch what a dead person is lying on. To the Lord of life, there are no strictures that 
prevent him from stepping into death. He touches that open coffin. And he came and he touched the open coffin and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, but they forgot to write it down. And he, Jesus, presented him to his mother, verse 16. And fear came upon all, and they glorified. The Greek reads, doxologized. They sang the doxology to God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. We're doing a series right now called The Gift. It's about prophets and prophecy. That's why we're in this text. A great prophet, the greatest prophet of all, has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about Jesus went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. The end. So here's the question. Could this story be a story about you and me? Do you suppose that inside of us, all the while, carried along in our frenetic lives, ever since we left Andrews University or ever since we arrived at Andrews University, carried along by the crowd of circumstances, but inside of us we, have, we are hiding a heart grown cold, a heart that has turned pulseless. Could this be a story about us? Yes, true. Once we were alive in Christ. Once God in His righteousness meant something to us. But over the passing of the days and the months and the years, the flickering hope and faith that was once ours has been snuffed and is extinguished. Could it be that this is a tale about you and me, our passion for things eternal gone cold and dead? I tell you what, if it's, a, if it's a story about you, my friend, and if it's a story about me, then it is very clear from this story. We need to meet the same Jesus on the way we're traveling, whatever that way is. We need to meet Him before our hopes are buried and our faith finally is laid to rest. We need the crucified and risen one to put his nail-scarred hand on the coffin of our innocence before it's buried and say, young man, boy, young woman, old man, old woman, I say to you, it's time. You need a resurrection. It's time to rise up again. I say to you, arise. Maybe this is our story. Could it be? Could it be the story of Andrews University? in need of a resurrection all over again. Before I tell you another story, I want to remind you that when you talk about revival, you're actually talking about resurrection. I appreciated what Michael said a moment ago. That the pastor prayed. You're talking about resurrection because the, the, the Latin word for revival is rivevere. Re means, again, repeat, redo, recount. Rivevere. Vevere means to live. Rivevere, to live again. That is precisely the definition of a resurrection, isn't it? To live again. Something was dead. I once was dead. But now I live. Revival. Coming back to life. Could it be we need a revival again at Andrews University? This may surprise you, but this next week, exactly 40 years ago, this next week, precisely, something happened at Andrews University that would be enshrined in the chronicles of this little campus for the rest of its existence. A revival broke out. 
Some of you were there. Some of you were here. Forty years ago, you were. Autumn, 1970. After reading Beatrice Neal's detailed recitation of that hallowed autumn at Andrews, I could wish we all had been here. You know, that Martin Kim that you just met on the big screen a moment ago? Martin Kim's the one who sent us this story. B. Neal wrote a history. It's called When, 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 when Heaven Came Down. And I want to read just a, a selected line or two. Two stories today. Just a selected line or two from her history of that revival. Listen to this. It was the worst of times. The whole country was in ferment of rebellion. This is 1970. The whole country was in ferment of rebellion, especially over the war in Vietnam. Law and order, authority, marriage, haircuts, work, study were out. Demonstrations, riots, LSD, acid rock, orgies, window smashing, burnings, violence were in. Some of you remember those days. But it was also the best of times. In the middle of the chaos, myriads of young people felt a hunger for God and for meaning to life. They looked up to heaven for help and God came down. Listen to the story. And it happened with the Methodists first. Here we go. On February 3, 1970, at Asbury Methodist College in the little town of Wilmore, Kentucky, students hurried to the 10 o'clock in the morning chapel service in the stately Hughes Auditorium. The dean gave a moving personal testimony. Then he invited others to join in in answer to the prayers of a small group of students who had been praying for revival. That's how it always starts. A small group of students on a campus begins praying for revival. In answer to the prayers of that small group, the Spirit of the Lord came down in mighty power. A rebellious senior shocked the audience by saying, I can't believe I'm actually standing here telling you what God has done for me. I've wasted my time in college up to now, but Christ has met me and I'm different. Now, for the first time ever, I'm excited about being a Christian. I wouldn't go back to the emptiness of yesterday for anything. A long line of students came forward to pray and give their testimonies. With tears, they acknowledged cheating, theft, prejudice, and jealousy. Some went to individuals in the congregation to ask for forgiveness and make restitution. Old enmities were melted with the fervent love of God. Some shook hands, others embraced, or they expressed their feelings with a hymn with the rest joining in. The cafeteria was nearly empty as the service continued on into the afternoon. Classes were suspended for the rest of the day. As some left for supper, others joined in to take their place. An all-night prayer vigil ensues. And then, just like our campus, they have a seminary on their campus. The undergrad students the next day go to the seminary and share their testimony. And the revival that began in chapel spreads to the seminary. Amazing. Asbury College. News of the revival spread to the outside world. Students from Asbury were invited to other campuses to testify. And the revival spread through Christian colleges across the nation. Billy Graham hears about the revival and in his Hour of Decision broadcast, March 15, expressed the wish that the revival which started at Asbury College in Kentucky would sweep from campus to campus and from city to city. It did. By fall, it reached Andrews University. Now, you need to hear what the year behind Andrews was like. The 1969-70 school year at Andrews University was rough. The campus was plagued by student rebellion, wide-scale drug use, and polarization among faculty and student groups. 
The student movement Andrews Campus paper dealt with issues such as declining enrollment, students' desire for separate church services, the university's ultra-conservative dress standards, racism, the generation gap, tensions between the student association and administration. That's the school year. Last year, the kids come back to campus the fall of 1970. Now, listen, listen to this. When the fall quarter started, school chaplain Gordon Paxton planned for a campus concern retreat at Camp Michiana. Right off, right off campus here, October 8th through 11, 40 years ago next week, Thursday through Sunday. The, the beloved youth revivalist, Pastor E.L. Minchin, had been invited. Mike Stevenson, 31 years old, General Conference youth leader, HMS Richards, Jr. Minchin became seriously ill a few weeks before the scheduled date, canceled the appointment. But when the students arrived at Camp Michiana, there was Pastor Minchin plainly showing the effects of his illness, but willing to take risks of a high order to lend his influence for Christ for his denomination's university. In the early morning worships, he taught how to pray effectively. Students joined him in singing his theme song. Here's the theme song. I want, dear Lord, a heart that's true and clean, a sunlit heart with not a cloud between, a heart like Thine, a heart divine, a heart as white as snow, on me, dear Lord, a heart like this bestow. Off campus, attendance at the meetings varied between 100 to, a, to as high as 180. Friday evening, they're sitting around a campfire, two hours of singing, testifying, weeping, and praising God. Here's one eyewitness report. A hundred assorted saints and sinners asked God to open them up, clean them out, and fill them with His Holy Spirit. He answered our plea. He poured out His Spirit without measure beyond our greatest expectations. All glory to God. Something was happening off campus. Sunday morning, while the pancake breakfast is delayed an hour and a half, the students are wrestling and praying, what shall we do when we come back to campus? Could it happen at Andrews University? Back on campus, here we go now. The students were afire for God. Gordon Paxton, listen to this, the chaplain, scheduled to speak in Tuesday's chapel right here, right here. Scheduled to speak, felt impressed to give the time over to the students. Some faculty cautioned against so bold an initiative in view of the climate on campus, but he felt constrained to proceed. Now listen. Tom Umek, a leading athlete on campus at the time, led out in the service. Students from the retreat filled the platform and witnessed to what God had done for them. Three Wednesday nights ago in our house of prayer service here, we were doing testimonies. Two hands shot up and said, guess what? We were there. The two of us were on that platform that day. When revival broke out at Andrews, then they invited others to come forward. Tom saw a fellow on the, to the right of the platform with whom he'd had a brawl every time he got on the football field. I wanted to smash your guts, Tom confessed, but now I love you. And he went over and hugged him, and the two wept on each other's shoulders. A spontaneous testimony service started during chapel, overflowed into the following hours. Listen to this. At 1.30, there were still 150 people lined up to testify. Three hours later... I thought I'd been a Christian all my life, one young woman confessed, but I realized I was mistaken. Now I've truly given my heart to Christ. I'm so happy now. Another testified the wall between Jesus and me is gone. Now we really communicate. After the service, some called their parents to ask forgiveness. Students shared with others on campus all week. They sang praise songs in the cafeteria line and stood up and testified during meals. That would have to be a revival. Hallelujah. All week long it's happening. Halloween night comes. The Student Ministerial Club on the campus organizes an all-night prayer vigil for Saturday night, October 31. 
By midnight, nearly 200 persons crowded the campus center, faculty and students praying together. Succeeding issues of the student movement were full of accounts of student evangelism to to Adventist churches throughout Michiana, places as far away as Mount Vernon Academy, Oakwood College, Atlantic Union College, Massachusetts. As a result of a student witnessing in nearby Benton Harbor, listen to this, Jeff Evans accepts Christ and begins sharing faith in the local college he attended, probably Lake Michigan College. But he meets one of our students up in Benton Harbor. A couple filing for divorce accepted Christ, opened their place for Jeff's fellowship meetings. So many interested kids at his college wanted to fellowship that Jeff Jeff fervently prayed for Bibles. The majority of students were from non-Christian homes and didn't have Bibles. One more paragraph, Sunday evening, November 1, that's the next day. Maury Venden, Morris Venden from Mountain View, California, came, arrived on campus to conduct a week of prayer. He spoke that evening and twice daily for five days. Students and faculty crowded into the Pioneer Memorial Church to give quiet and sustained attention. Esteemed John 15, grapes, how to abide in the vine and bear fruit. Afterwards, Venden commented, I went to Michigan to convert the students, but lo, the students have converted me. Amazing. A handful of students pray. It goes on and talks about how revival spread from here to CUC, how it went to AUC. By the way, listen to this. Christmas, that falls. Christmas, students from all three campuses descend on New York City and they're sharing Christ on the sidewalks. Christianity Today, the revered evangelical journal, hears of what happened in New York City, gets a hold of CUC because the Christianity Today offices used to be in Washington, the, the, the college sent students and the dean. They gave the worship at Christianity Today. And later that winter, they carried a story of the revival sweeping through Adventist colleges. Mercy. Revival. Resurrection. New life sweeping in to the midst of a school. I know this, this kind of, this feels a bit of an affront. And I don't mean it to be an affront. But could it be that what Andrews University needs most, and I'm talking about myself now, could it be that what we need most right now is another revival? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on this campus. I know that it's like Dwight L. Moody. He was preaching one night. He was preaching a series of nights in the YMCA in Chicago. This was back in 1871. And two women came through line as he was preaching. And after he was through, and they said, You know, Mr. Moody, uh, we've been praying for you. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He just like, Next. And they kept coming through night after night. We've been praying for you. You need... You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And finally, one night, his, his temper threadbare when they make the same speech. He just loses. He said, why, why don't you pray for the unsaved? You shouldn't be praying for me. But they kept coming back night after night. And one night, when everybody had left, he said, listen, I've got to talk. What is this about the Holy Spirit? And the rest is history. Of course, it's an affront. But you know what? To say we don't need a revival puts us in the company of a little church called Laodicea who says, I have need of nothing. I don't need a revival. A hundred years ago, a little woman who picked out this piece of southwestern Michigan farmland to become the new address for Battle Creek College, she wrote these words. I'll put it on the screen for you. A revival of true godliness among us 
is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. Look, if that was, if that was true a hundred years ago, it is exponentially more true, is it not? A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. First work. A revival, she went on, a revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. It won't come any other way. We have to ask. That's why today is day 32 of our 40 days of prayer here at Andrews University and the Pioneer Memorial Church. For 32 days now, we've been praying for God to to pour out His Spirit on us individually. Just pour out Your Spirit, God. The life giver, the Christ Himself. That He would move in our midst with this reviving, this resurrecting power. For 32 days now, we've been connecting with a prayer partner somewhere on this campus, somewhere in this community. Reviewing the day's reading from this little book by Dennis Smith called 40 Days. It's a great book. If you can pick up the book before you leave, pick up the book. Every day we're on the phone, we're connecting, reviewing the reading. And you know what we're praying for? Holy Spirit, baptize me. Just, just baptize me. Pour out Yourself in my life. And yeah, we're praying for this church, this congregation. We're praying for this campus. We're praying that God would open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there wouldn't be room enough to receive it. We're asking God to do it again 40 years later. Only do it deeper. Do it wider this time. Why not? What do we got to lose? Nothing. A revival of true godliness is our greatest need. It will only come, though, in answer to prayer. And so we're praying and praying and praying. And when the 40 days end... Ten days in that little prayer room. Begin. I want, dear Lord, a heart that's true and clean. I want that heart, Jesus. Resurrect my heart. Start over in my life. Give me a new heart. Because we want that heart, that's why next Friday night, right here, right here in this, in this pulpit, leave ending, totally coincidental, leave ending the son of Maury Vendon, will step into our church and onto this campus and begin nine nights of revival preaching. How come, Dwight? Because we need a revival. Revival of what? Revival of God, godliness. And what is godliness but God-likeness? And what is God-likeness but Christ-likeness? And what does it mean to be like Christ? It means to be baptized, surely baptized as Jesus was every day of His life by the Holy Spirit. Take a look at this from the classic Christ Object Lessons. He, daily, He, Christ, received a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't need, we don't need warm spiritual fuzzies around here. Oh boy, ah, we're having a revival. No, 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 no. We need a rekindling of the power of the eternal in our midst that will ignite His passion for a lost world one last time. That's what we need. We need His outpouring. Does it happen, that passion? Let me end with one last paragraph in this article. This is something else. Listen to this. The campus bookstore underwent great changes, all right, in this history of the revival. The campus bookstore underwent great changes. Many of the students gave expression to their faith by purchasing Bibles and giving them away on streets or in house-to-house visitation. Listen, let me hit the pause button right here. 
There, there are three fruits a genuine revival will always have. If it has only two, it's not genuine. It has to have all three. Here are the three fruits. The sentence points it out. When, a genuine, when, the, when the Holy Spirit is sweeping over a campus, here are the three fruits that immediately begin to grow. Intensification of praying. People are praying way more than they ever prayed before. Intensification of studying. Holy Scripture, they are into the Word like never before, and intensification of witnessing for Christ. Those three fruits combined define the genuineness of a revival. What's going on in this campus? Did you catch that? Many of the students gave expression to their faith by purchasing Bibles and giving them away on streets or in house-to-house visitation. The Andrews Bookstore, managed by Alice Cox, some of you will remember her, was well-stocked for annual sales of about 300 Bibles. Every year they figured, we can sell 300 Bibles on this campus. Listen to this. Suddenly, she's being quoted here. Suddenly, she said, we couldn't keep reach out. That's Ken Taylor's paraphrased Living New Testament. We couldn't keep reach out in stock. In five weeks' time, she ordered 1,300 copies at Andrews University. And thousands more were to follow. What's going on at Andrews? The publishers wanted to know. What's going on at Andrews? Heaven wants to know. What's going on at Andrews? Just moving through our paces. Moving through the routine. I've only been here two months, but I'm already into the routine. Going through the motions. What's going on at Andrews? Heaven wants to know. And so we're praying and praying and praying. God, you define it any way you wish. It doesn't have to look like 40 years ago. It doesn't have to look like that at all. But God, pour out Your Spirit and resurrect the life of Christ in an entire student body and faculty and administration and church. Resurrect Christ in our lives. Why not? What do we have to lose? Pray and pray and pray. And so let the record show before heaven that as alumni... And oh boy, I wish you'd join us in those prayers. Please, alumni. That may be the biggest gift you can give to us, Rodney. Just give us that gift of your prayers. You go home, you go back to your busy life or your retirement. Pray for your alma mater. Pray for us like you've never prayed for Andrews University before. Why not? The times are right. We are living in an utterly on the edge political and economic time. On this planet. God can do what He needs to do just like that. With His Spirit in possession of your life and my heart. Alumni, pray for us, will you? We'll pray for ourselves and we'll pray for you. Oh God, open up the windows of heaven that there might be poured out a blessing like we have never received before. It's time for one more revival. Do it a second time, God. For the Christ who is coming soon. For the Christ who alone can save us.
I'd like to invite you to stand with me right now. And in a moment, I'd like to sing this little chorus that Pastor Minchin taught the students 40 years ago. But before we sing that chorus, I need to make an invitation. There's no way we can come to this moment and not make an invitation. And so I want to invite, if there's a student here that would like to be resurrected in the power of Christ, revived in your life and in your journey, as we sing this chorus, I'd like to invite you to come forward. If there's an, an alum here that says, you know what, Dwight, I, I need that resurrection. I want that revival. I want to invite you to step over everybody and just come here to the front and we'll sing this chorus together. The leaders on campus, our campus chaplains, Chaplain Japheth in particular, he has reminded me, you know, Dwight, at the end of this service, we'd like to invite the student missionaries who are here to come forward in dedication to an adventure for Christ that they're going to take one of these months. And he said, would you also invite, please, students who haven't made a decision yet to be a student missionary, invite them to come forward. We'll meet with them afterwards, get their name and address and begin to plan with them how her life, his life, could be joined in service. I'll tell you this about student missionaries. There is nothing that will revive your heart quicker than proactive service for Christ. Always service for Christ is a catalyst for revival. You want to be revived? Be willing to take a year off? Maybe a half a year. Maybe just a spring break. But you'd be willing to be sent anywhere on this planet and go for Jesus. I want to invite you to come forward as we sing this chorus. And I need to make one more invitation. I want to make an invitation to the, to the alumni who are here. We are delighted to have you as always. You know what? The university has talked to you about giving to bricks and mortar, and that's important, and we do need those gifts. But I'd like to invite you right now to consider giving a gift to human lives in the service of Christ. In your little pew rack in front of you, the students have already put them there. They're there for you. See this little envelope? Alumni, would you please make a sacrificial gift to student missions? The details are all here. You just fill it out. You say, Dwight, I'm not prepared to give anything today. That's all right. Just turn the envelope in with what you, by the grace of God, would like to give. It will enable our, our planning leadership team to know how many students we can bring in to a strategic effort to reach this planet for Christ through the young. You couldn't give a more important gift than what you put in this envelope today. We'll have deacons standing at the door, the ushers, and you may leave your gift right there. Your pledge. We need, we need to go for broke for Christ. Spiritually, professionally, academically, financially. And so if your heart would like to seize this moment 
And ask Christ in a public way to revive your life, to rewrite your future, to resurrect what was once there. This is not a call for general rededication. I'd like to invite you to come out and I want to pray with you. We're all standing. Nobody will see you except the one who calls you. If Jesus is speaking to your heart right now, there are three stanzas to this. I'm not going to interrupt the stanzas. God bless you. I'm not going to interrupt the stanzas. I'm not going to prolong this. Just three stanzas of this little chorus. If God is speaking to your heart and He's saying, girl, boy, it's time for a resurrection. Step forward. You're an alum. You're not too old for a resurrection. God is tapping at your shoulder and saying, I'm asking you to publicly declare your prayer and invite you to come forward as well. These are already coming forward. To the back of the balcony, to the overflow. If the Spirit is speaking to your heart right now, join these who have already opened the door. You come. I want to sing that song with you. I'll put the words on the screen. It's a beautiful chorus. Forty years ago, they sang it as the Spirit was poured out. We sing it today, believing it can yet happen again. Let's sing together.
Oh, Father, we sing that prayer to You. Know that it comes from the depths of our hearts. We want what You have. We need what You have. Quicken us, Jesus. Rise up in our midst, dear Christ. Do it again. Is the arm of the Lord shortened? Have you lost power in the passage of 40 years? Or are you even more eager now to give good gifts to your children as a parent does to her child? Oh God, we need what you have. And so we have responded today. I thank you for these who have come forward, young adults, adults, who are saying, oh, dear Christ, you've passed by my way. I have heard you say, young man, young woman, sir, madam, I say to you, arise. We cannot change ourselves any more than that boy could raise himself, oh God. But in the power of the living Christ, by faith we receive His command. And we rise up now in our minds and in our hearts before You. We rise up with new hope and new life. Oh Jesus, for these who have said, take my life and let it be holy, consecrated Lord to Thee. And who have come forward for student missionary service for the Christ. Honor that decision. Fan the flames now. Nothing will revive that life like hands-on service somewhere on this planet. Prepare her for her higher calling. Prepare him for the high destiny you have always had for him. Seal this decision. There'll be obstacles. We know there's an enemy. He'll try to make it look as tough as possible. Living a resurrected life on this campus? Give me a break. Holy Christ, You can have called us to a decision that You will not assist with Your mighty Spirit. Clear the way for the, for the, for the roommate who doesn't believe, for the friend who snickers. Oh God, give that man, give that woman Your unbridled power. In the Spirit of Jesus, win every heart, cold hearts, unbelieving hearts, unresurrected lives. Win everyone you can. Pour out your Spirit, we humbly pray. And we will serve you, Jesus. We will serve you till you come by your grace. We thank you. Let all the people say, Amen.